We have the opportunity this morning to kick off a new series of messages. And the title of this series of messages is Fuse, Making the Connection. I don't know if you know a whole lot about fuse or fuses. I've got some fuses here on my table. As a matter of fact, these are fuses that operate or supposed to operate if they were working. Fuses, the breaker boxes for this side of this, this property, this building. So I've got four fuses up here, and I'm not an electrician. How many of you guys know anything about electricity? This is what I know about electricity. Don't touch it. It will hurt you. Be very careful. But I, I'm very appreciative for electricity. I'm thankful for what it provides, but I do know that there's got to be spots in which there is connectivity so that the, 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 the source of power can be brought to the place in which power is needed. As a matter of fact, when you take the source of power and you plug it into the place to where it needs power, it can bring exactly what you need, where you need it, so there can be all that you need, whether it's illumination or whether it is the source of power to generate uh, the, the motor that you're trying to, to use or the vacuumer that you want to vacuum, the like we did last week, you know what I'm talking about? kind of play on that. If you were here last week, we had a lot of dirt up here on stage. And, and so it's, it's able to provide source and power to everything that is needed. And so when you, when you take the source of the power and disconnect it from where you need power, then all of a sudden you're lacking something that you need. But the connection, man, connection makes a difference. When you fuse, boy, I sure do hope nobody has any problems with that flashing light. I better quit. When it's connected, then all of a sudden, something happens. And so this series of messages for this month, we're going to be talking about connectivity and how connecting among God's people together and in the word and through prayer and through worship. But most importantly, as we as God's people connect together to Christ, how many amazing things can happen in our life. And so the first step of this four series of four part series of messages, we're going to talk about fellowship. And I want you to think of fellowship in more of the biblical terminology of fellowship, not quite as much as what we oftentimes think fellowship is. Because if we're all honest, we're all thinking of fellowship in different ways. Some of us this morning are thinking of fellowship and we equate fellowship with food. Now, ain't nothing wrong with that, right? How many of you guys like some food, you know? Yeah, some of us more than others, but hey, it's out there and we like food. We have to have food to sustain our body, to keep us going through life. Food is necessary. But I want you to understand, food is not necessary when it comes to biblical fellowship, what the Bible is teaching us about true fellowship. As a matter of fact, this might also be a shock to you. A lot of times we equate fellowship with friendship. And I want you to understand that's two separate things. Should Inside a fellowship, there be people who are friends and friendly to one another. Absolutely. But fellowship and friendship are two totally different things. Friendly inside of fellowship, absolutely. But do you have to have deep, invested relationships to where you know everything about everybody inside of the fellowship that you're taking part in? Not really. 
Why? It's because of what fellowship is defined as of in the Bible. Now, when you look in the book of Acts, you see here Peter stands in Acts chapter 2 and he preaches on the day of Pentecost and thousands of people are saved. And the preaching of the gospel does exactly what the plan of the Father desires for the gospel to do. And that was radically changing and saving those who were far from him, bringing them close to him so that he could have this fellowship with them that included friendship. And if you read the book of Acts, you see that sometimes it included food. For those of you guys that are like, wait a minute, where's the food? There it is. It's in there, but that's not what it's all about. And so from Acts chapter 2, you see oftentimes to where the people of God are coming together for, for, for different reasons and purposes. And some Christians meet other Christians in different parts of the world to where they were never able to form these in-depth friendships, but they had fellowship. And there were moments to where things had to be done and they didn't have time for a meal. So a meal was not made, but, but there was fellowship that took place. And all throughout the book of Acts, you see, where God is moving over the hearts of his children to perform this thing called fellowship. Fellowship. And so if you got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 1 as we talk about the first of four circles for this month. The first one today is fellowship. The second one next Sunday is going to be discipleship. And we've got an image here on the board. Hopefully you'll be able to see that. Fellowship, discipleship, mentoring, and coaching. And the reason we're bringing all of these out is because I think, I believe with all of my heart, good intentions and all honest sincerity that every human being in this room wants to be productive and influential in your world with your Christianity. Who wants to be influential and productive in your world with your faith? Everybody who's a Christian, right? And so one of the best means and ways in which I feel we can do that is when we connect these four different aspects of connectivity, connection, in your life individually and as our life collectively comes together over these four things, then we will have an impact on the world around us. Fellowship, discipleship, mentoring, and coaching. Fellowship. Man, I'm giving them a workout in the media center, ain't I? So let's pick up at verse 1 of 1 John, chapter 1, verse 1. Here John writes and he says, That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which our, we, we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest unto us. That which we have seen and declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. These things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Verse 5, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us 
from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I don't know if you were a good student as we went through this chapter 10 verses of 1 John. By the way, John is writing to a group of Christians who are very fretful, very nervous about whether or not their faith is making a difference. As a matter of fact, there's moments in this letter to where there's the supposed thought that they might not even know for sure if they are connected to Christ or truly connected in a long-term sense with one another. Do they really know that they know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so when John is writing this letter, he wants to drive home the fact that you can know that you know Jesus to be your personal Savior and personal Lord. But in these first 10 verses, the way he builds the platform to preach that message from is he talks about a connectivity to Christ and a connectivity to one another that is called fellowship. He uses the word in this chapter, fellowship, at least four times and directly refers back to a connection, first and foremost, a connection to Jesus. If you go back in the first couple of verses, you would see where John writes and he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, these are the apostles. These are the ones who had first uh, uh, step encounters, face-to-face encounters with Jesus. Let me, let me ask this real, question, uh, real quick. How many of you guys have physically, with the eyes of your head, physically seen Jesus? Now, That's the answer that I thought I would get. Look around. Anybody here physically seen the resurrected Jesus? And so one of the qualifying markers of someone who was an apostle was the person who enjoined in ministry with Jesus. They they, they were partners with Jesus. Jesus sent them out specifically by his own voice into ministry. They saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. And so these are apostles, guys like John and James and Andrew and Matthew. These were apostles. And when John is writing this letter, he wants those to whom he is writing to, to understand Understand the connection that they have, which is also a connection that anybody can have with Christ. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, they heard about Jesus, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled the word of life. And then he goes on in verse two and says, for the life was manifest. I know that's a That's a big word, not necessarily a word we use a whole lot unless you're watching a television show called Manifest and they discontinued it and I was right in the middle of it and it really made me mad. (laughs) But anyway, so so Manifest means just to make, be be brought in light, to to make known, to, to be seen for the life. Jesus was manifest and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest, revealed unto us. And so John the Apostle, the one whom Jesus loved, this guy who has this amazing reputation of of loving Jesus, receiving love for Jesus, sharing the gospel to the world, this guy wouldn't shut up preaching about Jesus. As a matter of fact, the testimony goes about his life is they tried to kill him in multiple, uh, multiple ways. They tried to 
poison him to death and he couldn't die by drinking poison. They tried to boil him in a pot of oil and the testimony was when they lit the fire and John is in the oil and, and the oil is bubbling up around him, the crowd said all we could smell was such a sweet smelling savor in the air. It wasn't what the persecutors thought would be cooking flesh. But instead, God was saying, I'm going to protect this guy, and I'm going to carry this guy somewhere nobody else can go. And where was that? They exiled him to the Alcatraz of that day, the Isle of Patmos, and that's where the revelation that Jesus spoke to him about in John chapter 21, that he wouldn't see death until Christ's return, was fulfilled in John on the Isle of Patmos, writing what we know as the book of Revelation. Now this guy has some serious insight about who Jesus was and he's saying to us through this letter, not just those who received this letter, he says, but you can have connectivity. You can have connection with Jesus. It doesn't have to be you leaning on my faith or me leaning on your faith, but instead there can be a time in your life to where you turn from your sin and you place your faith fully in Jesus Christ and you can become born again and there can be a connection between you and your creator. There can be a time and place in this life to where you can go from death unto life, to where you can go from blindness unto sight, to where you can experience the resurrected king of glory through the new birth salvation. And he said, I want you to get that. I want you to get that. Because that is the primary connection within fellowship. Then there is a secondary connection that's within fellowship. And that's really what we want to talk about through this message and through this series of messages is the connection, because of a connection with Christ, we can have a connection with one another. Look at verse 7 real quick. And so this is, again, this is a, a secondary connection, but he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleans us, cleanses us from all sin. What keeps us connected. What makes it to where there can be a room full of people from all different walks of life, in all different generations, with different ethnicities? What can make a room like this be able to have one singular mind frame, one singular heartbeat, one singular passion in life? It's because we're all connected to the same source, and that same source is Jesus. It's got to be Jesus. And guys, just to kind of tell you the end of the story, it better always be Jesus. It begins with Jesus. It continues with Jesus. It finishes in front of Jesus. It's all about Jesus because it's Jesus who died on the cross, whose blood was shed, whose body was broken, who was buried and rose the third day so that you and I could be freed, forgiven, saved, and have a part in God's faith family. It's all about Jesus. And I'm afraid sometimes if we're not careful, we'll get things like fellowship more about us or me than it is about him. 
You see, when fellowship becomes more about me or us, now no doubt there is an us factor in it, and it should move our minds from, from you or me to, to, to us, but Christ has to be the head of us. Otherwise, this is what happens when it's about me or you or we and not him there is an organization that does good benevolent things and might meet some social needs but never touches the spiritual need of the world around us. Y'all didn't get that. If we make it about us instead of him, then all of a sudden embrace church or me as a Christian or you as a Christian or as a person. We do nice things in a world that is headed to hell in a handbasket and it will make no difference if we don't pour Jesus as the anointing oil, as the anointment, the ointment into the wound of the world. It's got to be, it's got to be Jesus. It can be. It can be me, it can be you, it can be us because of him. And so fellowship means more than food. It means more than, than friendship. It, 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 it means partnering together for the purpose of reaching the world for Christ. Partnering together to see to it that Christians live Christian lives and grow in their Christian faith. It is the idea of taking two and making them together for the purpose of power in the world around us. And guys, I'm here to tell you, I think one of the reasons that there is such a lack of power from Christianity is because we've not plugged in to this biblical truth about fellowship. Connectivity. So when we as individuals plug into Jesus and then when we as individuals collect ourselves together, all of a sudden we experience what John is writing about here in 1 John chapter 1. He illustrates Jesus and the Father, the Son and the Father in two ways in this chapter. Now later on in chapter 4, he's going to use another illustration about who God is and how God represents himself. But in this first chapter, he illustrates Jesus as the light. He is, he is like, how many times does he say that here in this, this, this one first chapter, verse five through seven? Then this is the message which we have heard of him. John says in the first four verses, we, we, we've been around Jesus. The, the, the apostles have enjoyed a, a personal presence of Jesus and we've, we've seen him, we've heard from him, we've looked upon him, we've touched him. We know that he literally physically existed on this earth and left us a ministry. And we're writing these things to you so that you can have the joy that we have because joy was a heritage that Jesus left behind as Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father. Two things that Jesus left you in his will that you need to know peace and joy you say to yourself why don't I have peace why don't I have joy the world is going to threaten your peace and your joy just like the world around you if it's been told that you're fixing to get a huge inheritance somebody in your family dies they leave you seven million dollars yeah, somebody got excited right <laughs> hallelujah and you thought out there on Facebook, hey guys, y'all won't believe what happened. 
I had a family member pass and they gave me $7 million. You know what's going to happen? Your doorbell going to get rung smooth off. <laughs> You're going to be answering one phone call right after the other phone call. And everybody's going to tell you, man, I can't pay my light bill. I got a flat tire. My kids are sick. I got fired. And, and there's nothing wrong about being generous. And we should. But maybe even some other things might happen to where the casino starts calling your name. Uh -huh. What about the addiction starts calling you? Well, you got enough to get it and to cover it. And all of a sudden, these things start calling. And the world around you starts going after what was left to you for inheritance. When Christ died, he left you an inheritance of peace and joy. And the problem is, is we let the world peck away at both of those. You say, Andy, ain't, ain't nothing touching my, my peace. Ain't nothing touching my joy. COVID, crumbling government, insecurity and vocation. <laughs> yeah, the world wants to peck away at these things. And John is writing. He says, I'm writing this to you so that your joy may be full. And then he says, this is our experience. This is the result from our experience. And this is what our experience with Jesus has led to. There is a message for you. And in verse 5, he says, this, this then is the message we heard of him and declare unto you that God is what, church? Light, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. We say we have fellowship, connectivity with him because of mission and ministry. If we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, then we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the what, church? The light. As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John's saying, hey guys, there's something cool about this, this light that is... Jesus, he is the light of the world. He's left us as, as lights to the world. The reason your candlestick has got a flame isn't because you just got smart and learned how to light it. The reason your candlestick has got a flame is because it was connected to the candlestick of Christ. And so now you've got this light. And so John says, he is, he is light. But John also says, he is life. And if you want to do any kind of deeper studying later on, John chapter 1, it's not that John's coming up with this newfangled message. He didn't have a brain explosion and said, oh yeah, Jesus, light. This is something he's been preaching for a long time because he received this message from Jesus. And he says, Jesus is, is life. Jesus is light. And Jesus' life, the first few verses, we experienced something that the world could not give us. Every time I, I go to the world, I get death. Every time I go to myself, within the source of my own strength, I get death. But when I go to Jesus, when I go to Jesus, he is... He has the words of life. I love it whenever, when Peter says that in John chapter 6. I mean, there was a couple encounters with Jesus and, and the crowd and his disciples to where things got a little bit hairy, okay? There were times to where Jesus would preach these, these hard-to-understand messages and the crowd that was listening to the message scratched their head and said, I can't get that, and they decided to leave. One of those messages was when Jesus preached and said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh... You won't have any part to do with me. Now, Jesus wasn't saying, hey, guys, let's just all be cannibals. That's not what he was saying. It was an illustration to the sacrifice that would be made on the cross. If you do not receive him in his sacrifice, 
in what was done through the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body, then you can't have anything to do with him. And when he said this, the crowd kind of flaked out. And Jesus looked to his disciples and he said to his disciples, and Peter, Peter, man, he can say some dumb things that we just honest. Sorry, Peter. I mean, is it true, right? He could say some things that were just off the wall, totally out of place. But then there was times where Peter was moved on by God and he would say something good and he said something good and he said to Jesus, where should we go? Only you have the words of life. Why is it so? It's not that Jesus was drawing from a spring that was fresh and healthy to give to others and that made them refreshed. Jesus is the spring from which the health and the wellness and, and the refreshment comes from. <laughs> and this is what John is saying in verse 1. He is able to speak the words of life. Why? Because he is the word of life. So he's illustrated as, as light and he's illustrated as life. But, but John later he illustrates in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 that, that God is love and that God is love. And everybody on this planet ought to thank God that he is a God who has decided to reveal himself and define himself by this wonderful character of love. Now that doesn't mean that God cannot hate there are certain things that God does hate. Read the book of Proverbs, chapter 6. It says, six things does the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination to him. The only way that you and I know the great value of love is because we're able to contrast it to the value of hate. There are certain things in this world that you should hate and desire to hate, right? And there are certain things in this world that you should love. We should hate our sin and we should love the goodness that God gives us in a right standing with his Father. And so God says he is love. So John is, John is in this idea of fellowship saying, remember that you are connected to the one who is life. In other words, he is giving you life. He is not giving you death. He is light. Therefore, he is the one that is allowing you to experience the realness of his presence and who he is in the world that you're in. He is light giving you light. He is love. The world is only going to give you hate, but he is giving you love. And with this love, you are to take it and share it with the world around you. And that's what makes a difference in the world around you. So you got to understand that, that fellowship includes these things within the connectivity of doing real ministry together. Real. More than food. More than friendships. But real ministry to where we get together and we talk about how we can win people to Christ and help grow people in Christ. And so you'll need life because the wear and tear of this world and life will threaten your vitality in your life. You'll need the love of God to go into places within the relationships that you will be forming for the sake of fellowship to where your love is going to run short. You will need the love of God. You will need light. Otherwise, how can you even know or understand how to operate within your own intellect? You can go so far, but with the, the connection that you have with Christ in the source of his light, then you can go and see and experience so much more. And then you say, but Andy, what happens whenever there is fellowship, there is connection, 
But then there's problems that come within the connection of the fellowship. Do me a favor and look to the person to your right. Look to the person to your left. Look to the person in front of you. Look to the person behind you. Okay. Some of them must, must look funny. <laughs> Everybody you looked at, and you, you're people of problems. <laughs> Just might as well go ahead and say it. You got problems. I got problems. It's life. Not only do we have problems, we have troubles, and sometimes we're the creator of our own troubles. We do. It's who we are. We live in this flesh, and because of this flesh, we, we make mistakes, and we say things we shouldn't say, and, and, and we mess up things that, that other people plan. And, and it's just the fact, because we're together in life, and, and, and we're going to run into situations to where we're going to have to not have the mindset that says, well, I've been done wrong, therefore I'm going to do wrong, but instead says, I'm going to forgive because I have the opportunity now in this moment to forgive. And, and because we're people with problems... Sin is there. And so how do, we, how do we deal with the issue of sin? Look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Darkness, opposite of light, light is pure, holy, good from God. Darkness is our own way, in our plans, up in our feelings, doing our own thing. We lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light... As he is the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then he says this, which is kind of crazy, okay? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now you ain't that person, but I know everybody in here knows that person to where they just think they all that and a bag of chips. That they don't do nothing wrong. If you've ever heard them in an argument, they justify, they excuse, they do whatever tactic they need. They manipulate so that they can win the argument because they, they believe that they're, they're not wrong. There are people out there, I'm warning you, that there are people out there who think they can do no wrong. Believe it or not. And sometimes it's me. Sometimes it's you. But here John, he says, if we say we have never blew it, made the mistake, said the wrong thing, thought the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, been at the wrong place at the wrong time on purpose, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not as. Go on to verse 10 real quick. I'm going to skip 9 because I want to come back to it. But he says in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now, is God a liar? We know one thing that God cannot do. Paul told Titus, there's one thing that God cannot do and that is lie. Why? Because God is more than just a truth teller. God in all of his being is truth. And so here's the Here's the struggle within the fellowship when things don't work out the way we want it to work out is sin deceives. Sin deceives us. But understand this, hypocrisy is deceptive. 
Sin may deceive us for a moment and we're tricked by the temptation of that sin and we fall into that sin and we make that mistake and we sin. And it's a sin against God and sometimes it's a, a sin against us and sometimes it's a sin against those around us. But we're deceived by that and we go into this sin and, and everyone is a sinner. I mean, because if you look in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, he says, My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. It is the heartbeat of God that we not sin. But he says, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, the divine substitute for our sins and not for ours only, but also the sins of the whole world. So God's desire is that we not sin. But God's knowledge is knowing that we will sin and do sin and have sinned. And so God has made us a way of escape from our sin. Verse 9 of chapter 1, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sin is deceptive, but when you are deceived by sin, confess your sin to Jesus, bring it to Him. He's the only one that knows how to do anything with it. When you confess it to Him, He's faithful, He's just, He's the only one who can, is what that word means, and He will forgive you and cleanse you from all of your wrongdoing. And so a person who is deceived by sin and knows the answer to the sin problem that they have will come to Jesus. Sin is deceptive, but hypocrisy is so deceiving to where hypocrisy says, I've done nothing wrong. Yeah, you have. You blew it. The mess is all around you. The mess is all in you. You know you blew it. You know you made a terrible mistake. You know you've sinned. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God inside of you is rattling you saying you've sinned. If you sinned against someone in your fellowship, they've recognized your sin. It is separating your fellowship because of your sin. And don't let hypocrisy be a whisper in your ear that says, oh, you've done nothing wrong. See, the power behind hypocrisy is pride. But the power behind true, honest connection in fellowship is humility. Especially when we've made the mistake of sin with each other. Sin wants to deceive you, but hypocrisy will fool you to the point to where you don't want to confess and get it right. But God says you don't have to be that way. Why? Because it is my, my desire, it is my passion to get you hooked up into this Fellowship. Fellowship is, is something that is different from relationship. I, I need you to know that as well. Relationship is you were born by the Spirit of God because of the blood of God into the family of God. When you said, Lord, forgive my sins and come into my life and save me, in that moment, according to John chapter 3, you experienced the new birth and you became a child of God. God is your, and he always refers to, to us in relational terms. He says he is the Father and we are his children, right? Jesus is his son. We are his children. He is our father. And we have been adopted into the family of God because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is relational. Relationship doesn't change. Relationship doesn't change. My, my wife and I, we're, we're, we're married. We're, we have the relationship of marriage there. My, my children, maybe, maybe even a better illustration there's been times to where me and my kids didn't see eye to eye. And I'm not saying it's because they were this tall or this tall. I mean, because they, they, either I was wrong or they were wrong. And in that wrongness, there was a separation in fellowship 
but there was not separation in relationship. I'm still the daddy, and they're still the child. They can never speak to me again. They can move off to the other side of the world. They could disown me. They could change their last name, but they can't get my blood out of their veins. They are my children. I am their father. Relationship doesn't change. But if we have a blow-up, and they don't talk to me anymore, then fellowship is affected by sin. Connection is severed in that aspect of fellowship. And so here John is saying, guys, I want you to understand how important fellowship is. I want you to understand how fragile fellowship is. But I want you to understand how the world around you needs the partnership with other Christians in your life to reach the world or help Christians grow in their faith in Jesus. So I've got these four fuses. There's more than one illustration this morning. You've got the lights in the middle um, where we get the source of power with the place or the need of power, that's connection. Right? Nobody thinks that's super cool, do they? That's a lot of work went into that, y'all. Thank you. I always, I always look for the... <laughs> I always look for the wow moment, you know. Wow. So we got, we got that, but we got these, these four fuses. These four fuses are going to represent... Each of my, my thoughts this morning, within the realm of fellowship, how is fellowship formed? Real quick, first of all, fellowship is formed, real connection because of the purpose of ministry, the partnering together of ministry. The first thing, the first fuse is it's formed over a common interest, a common interest. Again, we come from all different parts of the, of the world in different makeups and, and, and different hobbies and different mindsets and different vocations and, and all of these differences. But what makes us unique in coming together for the sake of fellowship is there is a common interest. What is the common interest? The common interest is that God's work be done on this planet. That God's will take place in our lives, in our generation, and in this moment. There is a common interest that says, hey, we can get together. There may not be a whole lot in which we can get together over. And remember, when we're not getting together, the connection is broken. Therefore, power doesn't get to the place of which power is, where power is needed. But when there is the connection, when we're able to say, this is why. We do what we do, not because I like Alabama and that's a winning team and they killed Miami this weekend and most of y'all like Mississippi State. That's not the reason who barely won by one point and had to come back from a very low-ranked team. Not Anyway, okay. That's a win's a win. So, <laughs> so that's not the reason we're here. To, it's not because we all work at the same place or, 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 or because we... It, but there's a common interest, and that interest is because Jesus saved you, and Jesus saved me, and Jesus changed you, and Jesus changed me. And Jesus has given us a book that tells us everything that we need to do, and we're reading this book together, and we're growing in this book together, and we're missioned by this book together, and there's a common interest. Amos says this in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can there really be power from the place of fellowship among God's people? unless there is a common interest in which we agree. Can we agree together that there is a need for Jesus in the world around us? Can we agree that we as God's people, we need each other 
to grow in our faith and instigate growth because of accountability and all of these great things that the Bible teaches us about being together as God's people? Absolutely. So the first thought is common interest. Common interest isn't the hobby. The common interest is him. It's him and what he's doing. But then next is, is concreted investments. Concreted investments is the next use for us to be able to make the connection to where we need to make the connection within our fellowship and partnering together over ministry is that we have to, in concrete ways, measure our investment with one another. This is the way we say that as a part of Embrace Church. You've probably heard this before, but the world has a phrase that says, if you scratch my back, and so what does Embrace say? We'll scratch your back if you don't have arms. It's concrete investment, right? We tell people this all the time. If you leave Embrace, understand this. It's you leaving us. It's not us leaving you. We're committed to you to the end. Concreted investment. How does that look? It means that we're going to be here for you in a time of need as much as we possibly can. Now understand this. We are human and we are flawed. And a lot of times we fall short and don't do the standards that we've committed ourselves to. It's just the reality of life. We, we can't always commit to everything. But, but there are things that you can commit to and it can be Concreted investment and concreted investment means there's sacrifice given for the sake of somebody else. Let me ask you this question. When is the last time, honestly, when is the last time you said no to you so that you could say yes to them? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, this is what Paul said to the church at Thessalonica. So being affectionately desirous of you. We were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also our own souls because you were dear unto us. Some concreted investments. You've got to have the common interest. That's Jesus. You've got to have the concreted investments. That's living a life of sacrificial giving to one another. And you say, Andy, it's hard to give sacrificially. The natural realm and the natural world will tell you, don't give sacrificially. But Jesus, he led the way in showing us what it looked like to be sacrificial in our giving. Concreting, solidifying sacrifice and investment. Obviously, it showed up in the life of Paul. But then the other thing is clear initiatives. The other fuse is a clear initiative. Let me tell you something. You can have the common interest of Jesus. All of Christianity of all the world should have the common interest of Jesus. You can have concreted investments. You can be, hey, I'm for you. I'm for you. And you can sit in a circle and you can go nowhere, do nothing, and say nothing other than I'm for you, I love you, I'm for you, I'm lo I love you. If, unless you have clear initiative, then that's the only thing you'll ever have is, is this common interest in Okay, we're, we're for each other. We're not going to leave each other. But where do we go with that? What do we do with a clear initiative? You see, this is what has to happen within fellowships. And this is, this is the fun part of what I get to do this morning. I am giving you the permission to join and embrace and develop fellowships among and outside of this fellowship when you have a Christian brother or sister, whether it is family, friend, or neighbor, or someone you met or somebody in this room to where you partner together over ministry. This past week, we had the opportunity of partnership with other Christians 
Christians to go to Louisiana and meet some needs because of the hurricane. That's fellowship. That's koinonia. That's partnering together over, over ministry. I'm giving you the permission as Christians to create and to develop under the idea of spiritual ambition to gather up fellowships and go out and do a work. But you've got to make sure that you have a clear initiative of what that means. And what that means is as you see a vision, you set a goal, and you proceed with the plan. <laughs> I think that's intimidating, right? I think that's intimidating. And the reason it's intimidating is because we want to do something. We just can't see anything. And the reason we're not doing anything is because we're not seeing anything. And the reason we're not seeing anything, and please forgive me if this offends you, but you're not seeing anything because you're not seeking anyone. You got to seek him and seek them. See, there's got to be that clearance. Set the vision, create the plan, take the steps to fulfill the plan. Acts chapter 16, verse 6 through 10. I won't read all the story, but here's Paul, the apostles, and they're getting ready to do missionary journeys and trips, and they're, they're going out with the gospel, and people are getting saved left and right. And there's one part of the, the, the Middle East that they want to go to, and every time they pack their bags and they get ready to go, the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh. And I don't know where you are in your faith right now, but when the Holy Spirit says, uh-uh, then uh-uh. Put the brakes on, hold up, time out, do a little more praying, do a little more fasting, do a little more reading, do a little more wise counsel seeking. And so the Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. And they wanted to go, and the Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. And the Holy Spirit was waiting on the right time to get Paul and his, his fellow fellowship together on, on what they were supposed to do next. And so the, the, the ground is getting fertile, and the hearts and minds are getting ripe. And then all of a sudden, there's a vision given to Paul and his, his fellowship team about a man over in Macedonia who is saying, hey, come preach the gospel to us. And the scripture says the spirit of the Lord affirmed that and they went and they took the good news of the gospel to that area. They had a vision. They sought after the, the Christ of that vision. And God supplied a plan for that vision and the action steps that needed to take place for that vision. And so there's common interest and there's concrete investments and there's clear initiatives and all of that is wonderful and all of that is should be applicable to us in our everyday living among Christians for the sake of fellowship but understand this in the midst of all that we do it has to be Christ inside of us common interest Concrete investments, <laughs> clear initiatives. I had to give you a CI to finish it off, okay? Christ inside. Christ inside. Go back to that verse 7 real quick. But if we walk in the light, it's God's desire. Why? Because he is the light. What is the result? We have fellowship one with another. How is that evident that the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin? doesn't mean that you have to live in perf perfection to be in fellowship, but you have to be oftentimes in the blood of Jesus Christ to maintain fellowship. Man, I hope you've, you've made a connection this morning. I hope the Holy Spirit has made a connection to your heart this morning about what you need to be doing inside the aspects of fellowship.